Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. Hope you all had a good weekend. Uh, Hope you are stepping into a good week. Um, I know we have a lot going on at Lifeline, and I'm sure you have a lot going on uh, on your plate. We're going to continue on this morning, uh, moving through the first chapter of 1 Timothy. And uh, we're going to look at the last eight or ten verses of the chapter. So we'll begin in verse 12. I really wanted to point out, um, I know we started this book last week, a little bit about this relationship between Paul and Timothy. Um, I really love the way that Paul writes to Timothy. Um, He's not writing just to instruct him or uh, just to encourage him. He's, he's, he's not even writing just to, or even to admonish him or tell him what he's doing wrong or how to go about doing it. Instead, he's really writing to him as a guide. Um, And, and I love the way that they, relate to one another. Um, Paul really embodies kind of this position of a teacher. Um, and he, he knows a little bit of what to do, but he also embodies this position of a mentor who, who knows kind of how it feels like he's been there too. Um, so he's kind of mentoring Timothy. Uh, and then he really personifies this kind of uh, coach who can tell Timothy also just how to get it done. So he's coming at him from somebody who he's been there before. He knows what to do. He knows how it's feeling. He knows the the hard times and the good times. And so he's really guiding Timothy. Um, and we see that through through these letters that he's writing. Um, and there's three things about the relationship that I think is really cool. Um, if you just look at it throughout New Testament, you see that Paul and Timothy have a lot of time invested together. Um, they It's not just a, a one and done relationship. It's not just something where... They did something together and they went about their ways. It's something where they've worked together in ministry um, over a long season. Um, it's, a, it's a good reminder to us that that the way these relationships go uh, and the way that we can have these meaningful relationships in ministry, it takes time. Um, it takes uh, just mutually invested time together. And Paul and Timothy had that. Uh, also, um, their relationship has grown through experiences. They have done ministry together. They've done events together. They have gone through hard times together. So these experiences have given them just uh, such a a rapport and a way that they can work together, camaraderie with one another. Um, And also it's this relationship is one of mutual respect. It's not one where Paul is up on a a pedestal and looking down at Timothy. It's one where they're continually just um, applauding one another and encouraging one another. It's two ways of just respect and overall just a mutually uh, encouraging relationship. And I think that's really a great reminder for you and me um, just to, to identify who are our Pauls and Timothys in our life. Um, do you have someone that you are following after that you're looking up to that is pouring into you? Um, and then likewise, do you have people that you're doing that to? Um, can you say that you have a few people that are Timothys in your life, that you are finding ways to encourage, to 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 guide, to bring up and, uh, and pour into? 
And so I like that we kind of think about their relationship a little bit as we get started in this text, because again, this isn't a book that Paul is writing to a church and just telling them all the things that they're doing wrong. It's not something he's writing from in prison and just appealing that they do something right. It's it's more of a guide walking his friend through something. Um, and and it's something that's uh, intentional, something that's very to the point, but also something that's very just passionate that, that Paul is writing about. He's setting the tone um, just for for being able to speak into Timothy's situation. Um, he's not writing it out of desperation or distress. He's not chained in a, in a, in a uh, prison cell, which is kind of rare for Paul as he's writing these letters. Uh, he's writing specifically to address false teachings that are happening in the church of Ephesus. And, um, and so in return, we see him kind of pause and reflect on um, how good God is and how, uh, great his love is. And, and that sets the tone for what he's going to continue talking about in these two letters to Timothy. So we'll begin reading in chapter 1, verse 12, and then we'll, we'll come back and hit a few things. So beginning with verse 12, it says, I thank him. This is Paul talking about Jesus. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received his mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed me with the faith and the love that I that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is my charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you, you would wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Among those are, are uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may not learn, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul is... He, we, we talked a little bit last week about some of the problems that Timothy is facing and what he's kind of the group that he's leading. And Paul is reminding him of all the, the false teaching that's going on with, throughout the church, all the things to be on alert for, the things to look out for. And as he's talking about these problems, he's reminded again of how he used to be in the middle of it. He was one of the problems. He was someone who was against the church. He was very much um, against God, against Against the moving of Jesus, he uh, stood in the way of God's moving. And uh, so I think as Paul writes these things, not only can he write from the perspective of a great leader, he can also write from the perspective of someone who has fought adamantly to stand in the way of it. Um, and so he begins with verse 12 and 13 in this section, just saying, I thank God who has given me the strength because he judged me faithful. He didn't judge me right. He didn't judge me perfect. He, he didn't say I was done and complete. He, he, he didn't say I was a nice guy. He judged me as faithful, appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and opponent. I love how Paul reminds us that, that God counts us as faithful. 
when we believe in him. Um, he doesn't say because of your belief, you are now a, a perfect person. He doesn't say, here's your get in heaven card and go and do whatever. He says, you are faithful. Um, it, it does, it, you're not perfect. You're not done. You're not, none of these things, but hopefully he counts us as faithful. Um, it's a good reminder that God accepts our faith. Um, he accepts the, the, the things we know and the things we hope to know and the things that we question our fears, our apprehensions. He accepts all of that and he counts us as faithful. Um, and, and he wants to do something with it. Faith, we, we know faith is kind of a hope that, that leads to trust. And so calling us faithful should mean that we are uh, called to live a life in light of that trust. And, and it's, it's an action. He says, so you, Paul, are, are faithful. And with that faith, he desires to do something. And Paul is reminding Timothy of that same charge. Um, again, it's good to remember that uh, he doesn't just check us and, and, and say, now go to heaven or go, go hang out and we'll see you when all this is over. He says, you're faithful, so do something with it. Um, and great, gratefully, Paul and Timothy did something with that faith. He goes on through verse th- uh, the end of verse 13. He says, but I have received mercy and I acted uh, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And so the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So again, we know if you've studied scripture, if you've been in church, we know that Paul, the guy who's writing this this book, um, was at one point uh, against Christianity. He was very much um, just fighting the movement of of God and the and the movement of the kingdom. And so, when Paul talks about sin, we know that he's doing it as someone who really gets it. Um, he he reminds us that. He was vile. He was against God. He was against Christians. He he was a part of the people that would uh, that would kill, that would behead, that would stone, that would that would do anything he could to stop this movement. He um, he has a long list of sin and of things that are against him. And so, whenever he talks about sin, we can believe that he gets it. But then we also have to believe that whenever he talks about salvation and and grace, we have to believe that he has experienced it probably more than we could even understand. Um, he reminds us that we're loved and we're saved and we're counted righteous because of God's grace. And that's really the only thing that can do that. It doesn't matter um, how much scripture we know. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily matter how often we're in church. It doesn't matter how good we dress or how much law we could have recited. None of those things overpower or add to the grace that God desires to give when we accept him. And so he was living in a time when, when the law was there to try to quantify God's love. People would follow the law by a T just so that they could achieve God's love. Um, he, the churches were trying to overcomplicate it. They were adding their own laws on top of the law so that they could really be sure that they received the love that God, that God had for them. We live in a world that still tries to do the same thing. Our churches still try to add more merit to what God has, God can do or God has done. Our world tries to stipulate it 
will say, well, God could only love us if we do this, or God won't love you because you do that. And so we live in this time when love and, and that, and the reality that God would just love us regardless is sometimes hard to understand. And so Paul, Paul gets that. And Paul is reminding Timothy of that he says the only thing the sing, the saying that is trustworthy is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's, that's true. But the truth is God loves us. He's pursued us with a love that is big enough to cover any wrong. We see that in Paul's life. We see that in the life of people who have just uh, lived wayward, who have broken the laws, who have done so many things that were against God, who have done atrocious sin and still found amazing grace. And this is why we, we worship God, that he, he, we know that he can... Um, he can save those who are imprisoned. Um, I don't know if you've ever been involved in any kind of prison ministry or you've ever gone to church that happens within a, within a prison, but it's amazing how you can be around people who are absolutely living in the effects of their sin, who are living out the consequences of their bad choice, who are very much imprisoned. But once they have accepted God, once they've understood grace, they are free. They're able to worship freely. They're able to experience that love. And that's kind of where Paul writes from. He says, I've been enchained. I've been enslaved. I've been the sinner. And now I'm telling you, God came to set us free from that. So we believe that. We believe that the imprisoned can find freedom. We believe the addicted can find peace. We believe the sinner can be saved. And if you grew up in church and you've heard that before, and, and you would even think, well, I believe that. I'm a part of that. But you might say, well, my testimony is kind of boring. <laughs> I didn't make that many bad choices. I haven't gone way off the deep end. Um, it's not that exciting of a testimony. Um, I want to let you know that regardless of how exciting you think your testimony is, the same power that saved Paul is the same power that saves you. Um, and so if you ever allow a, a weak testimony to prevent you from uh, just giving God big praise, then just claim someone else's testimony because it's the same thing. It's the same power. It's the same love. It's the same God that saves us the same way he saved Paul. Um, Paul reminds us that this power is continually at work. It's, it's moving, it's doing something, it's active. And um, we should take that and do something with it. So he goes on in verse 16 and 17, and he talks more about this. He says, I received mercy for this reason. So he says, this happened to me. I had this life change for a very specific reason. He says that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who want, who were to believe for, in him for eternal life. So to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Again, this is a reminder for me and you that we weren't just saved so that we can know God and, and call it a day. Um, we weren't just saved for ourselves. Uh, the Bible doesn't just tell us that God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever knows shall have eternal life and go check out. Instead, we're reminded that we were saved for, for the sake of others. We were saved for God's glory and for others to come to know God as well. And so Paul reminds us, he says that, look at me as an example, that if God can do this in my life, then 
this is the perfect way for people to see that he can do it in theirs because God continues to demonstrate patience and love and grace upon grace through all of our situations, through all of our choices, through all of our opportunities to make a decision and make the wrong one. And so Paul says that um, he is, as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience in him as an example to those who want to believe. Salvation is how God displays his love for us to other people. Um, God will use your being saved to save others. Um, that's why it's important to, to know how to talk about God, because hopefully people look at you and see God at work. Um, God's perfect patience with us in our times of imperfection, in our times of distress, in our times of just waywardness, the way that God is patient with us is an example to other people of how he can be patient to them. So remember that on the good days. Uh, it's easy to remember on the good days, but definitely remember it on the days when it just feels like you need an extra dose of patience from God. It feels like things are hard or it feels like you just thought have fallen off of that. Remember that God displays his patience for us and he does so that, so that other people can understand that he is a kind, patient, loving, approachable God. He goes on in verse 18. Um, he says, so this charge I give to you, Timothy. He says, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. He's like, you know that you're called to do this. We've, you've heard this before. You know that God has set you apart to do this work. And I'm with you on that. So here's what I want you to do. That you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made a shipwreck of their faith. And he mentions a couple of people who've done so. Um, so he says, here's the one thing I want you to go and do. I want you to wage good warfare. Um, for me, I thought that was a, I just like the the way that he, he said these couple of things. He, he says, so take your salvation, take this calling that you know is on your life. Take what people have said about you and what you know that God has called you to do and go out and wage good war. Um, if you look back at kind of the meaning of that, he says, go and fight this fight. Go and and stand up for what you know you should. And, and he says, and you have some weapons. You're not going at it alone. And he says, so the two things you can carry out with you are faith and a good conscience. You can know who's with you and you can know what you should do. He says, and that's what you need. He doesn't say, so take the God who loves you and go out and just give everyone a hug although that might be a part of it. He doesn't say, take take God who loves you in that salvation and go and just tell everyone they're wrong. Instead, he says, take God and go out and just know what to do, know how to defend, know how to engage and, and fight this fight. Um, if you are a Christian, you are kind of in a fight with the world. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't love them. It doesn't mean that there's not times that you can can look like the world to love the world it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you're always just battling but it means that you're really going to have to stand firm on what you know god has called you to do and you there are going to be times that you have to enter into this this fight this battle to uphold and to do what's right so just know that we're all given those same tools we're given a a new conscience we're given a new mind we're giving a, a new we're a new creation in christ says the old is gone, the world is gone, and the new has come, and we're called to do something with it. 
And then we also take, uh, we take our faith. We know that we're not doing this for our own good. We're not doing this uh, because of some old story. We're doing something that's true and living and active and, and calling us to do this. So he says, because of your conscience, because of the, what you know you're called to do, and because of your faith and, and the one who's called you to do it, he says, go out and wage this war. Um, it says, uh, let God work in you. Uh, I think we're reminded that that God can work in us as we go out into the world. Um, he He changes our heart. He softens our heart. He He calls us to towards people. He um, He reminds us of our sin, and He shows us His grace. He works within us to deepen our convictions, to to remind us of what we're to do. But then He also uh, we're reminded to let God work from us. Um, let your weapons that you that you have this faith and this good conscience let it not just be something that you hold and you yield and you're ready to use but but let it also be your tools that you go and love the world with um i I think about how combative some people can be how ready they are to defend their stance on theology or how how ready they are to argue about uh how they think god's going to return or or whatever it may be they're ready to argue on things those are good tools, but if, if all you're doing is just, just throwing them at people instead of using them to love people, then they're not going to serve any good purpose. Um, so let God work in you so that he can work from you. Um, also, I love the terminology that he uses kind of at the end of that. He said, there's some people that have just shipwrecked their faith. Um, my son, Jordan, uh, he's, he's on the, the, the autism scale. He has really high functioning autism and he's very, very good at, um, at remembering dates and details. He's very detail oriented about things. Um, and he has a few things that he really just, uh, just hones in on. He, he likes history. He's a very big history buff. And so he can tell you anything that you could possibly want to know about the Titanic about the the Britannic, the the ships that were made kind of in the image of the Titanic. He can tell you the day it was made, when it was commissioned, how many people were on the boat, how far it went, uh, the cause of the of the sinking. He can tell you when the boat sank, how long it took to go down, and what order. He can he can tell you everything. Um, and and he he told me just anytime we talk about it, he says, but you know. The next time they build a Titanic, they're going to do it better. And I said, "Yeah, you're right." Um, and and he just talks a lot about how uh, they didn't go and try to put together the t- the Titanic after they found the pieces. He says, and they can't really put it together. They have to go just make a new one. And I thought that was kind of insightful for a ten year old. That um, you know, I think a lot of times we try to put things together after it's broken, and sometimes we have to realize that the only thing that can be put together or the only way that we can make it better is if we are a new creation. And so he says, there's some people that have just gone and, and so shipwrecked their faith by allowing these other influences, these other things that they think to be true, these uh, wayward thoughts, these sinful actions. He said, there's a lot of people that have just shipwrecked their faith. And, and we're reminded that like, he even says, he said, so I'll let, God deal with that. I will, uh, I'll turn them over to Satan, which in, in this passage is really saying, so I'm going to let God give them some time to deal with their hearts. Um, as we go and battle in this world, as we carry around our, 
our convictions and our conscience as we do so in faith, we have to know that we're going to encounter people that are spiritually shipwrecked in so many ways. They have added their to their faith so many things that have probably taken them way off of track. And so um, it's good to know that we don't have to go and be this this repairer of ships. Um, instead, we just really have to go out and just help people know what to do when, when it feels like their faith is shipwrecked, when it feels like their life is wrecked, when it feels like things are just uh, in every which way or sinking or whatever it is, um, we're reminded that we can go and take the faith that we have, our convictions and our consciences, and we can go and share that to other people. And it doesn't mean we have to have all the answers. Instead, it says we can just show how God is patient with us day in and day out, and we can exemplify that to other people. And in doing so, we might even help people identify that that they want that. Because a patient, loving God is not necessarily what the world thinks about when they think of religion. Um, and and more and more, it feels like if you talk to someone that's not churched, the 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 overall feeling of what religion is like is is restricting. It's it, it's prohibitive. It tells you what you can't do. It tells you that if you do do it, you're you're going to have uh, just horrible punishment. That's what a lot of the world thinks about religion. That's what a lot of America thinks about religion. And so I love that Paul is reminding Timothy, he said, just allow people to see how God is patient with you so that they can understand that God can be patient with them. Um, again, he said, I'm handing these two over to Satan, which does not sound like a good thing to do. Uh, but he, if you look into the meaning of it, it says, I'm going to allow them the space for God to work on their heart. And this saying was actually used a few times. And it really says, I'm going to give them time to hopefully reconcile. I'm going to uh, stop being over them so that they can hopefully come to know God. Um, and maybe there's even people like that that you just say, I've tried or or I just feel like I'm just beating my head against the wall and I'm not making any progress. Or they keep just interjecting their agenda on me. Sometimes we have to know that it's okay that we can't fix somebody. It's okay that uh, it might not get through to them. And it's also okay to say, God, I'm going to let you deal with that. And I'm going to focus on what other things that you've called me to do. Um, today, as we kind of enter into our week, I just want to give you a couple things to do, uh, a couple things to think about, especially coming out of these verses. Um, Number one would just be remember and claim God's love on your life. Um, Paul does this throughout scripture. Paul remembers who he was. Paul uh, identifies who God is. And he says, in light of those two things, here's who I am now. Um, and, and he instructs Timothy to do the same thing, claim God's love in your life. I would say the same thing for us. Um, if you, if you know God as your, as your savior, then you have so much to claim. You have, you have, uh, his, his truth, his promises, his faithfulness, his abiding love that is always there with us. And, and we don't get to just take all that and put it on the shelf. We get to actually claim that and do something with it. So Claim God's love in your life today. Um, number two would be worship God's grace that is sufficient for all sin and all sinners. Um, Paul says, me, I am the foremost. Uh, I, if God can save me, God can save anyone. And 
we have to remember that today. We, in a lot of ways, are like Paul. And again, I don't know what all your past looks like, um, but the same love and the same grace that saved Paul is what saved us. And, and God is big enough to do all those things, um, regardless of how damaged your past is, regardless of how um, just full your rap sheet is. God loved you. God loves you. God saved you. God is saving you. God can do away with all that so that he can use you now. So worship God's grace that is sufficient for all sin and for all sinners. Uh, number three, wage good warfare this week and do it for the best of reasons. Don't do it so that you can just push your theological agenda. Don't do it so that you can um, get your way. Don't do it so that you can Jesus juke somebody. Do it because God calls us to love people and to stand firm in a world that's shifting. Do it with our tools in hand. Do it with our faith, which will guide our motivation, our, our, the way we go about it, the reason we do it, the way we, the way we deliver it. Our faith will, will, will uh, inform all that. But then also do it with your good consciousness. Do it with a good peace of mind. Do it with the right motivation. Do it with a, um, a way that really is, is out for God's glory. So this week, wage good warfare for the best of reasons. And then the last thing I would tell you is just don't go at this alone. Um, if, if, if your spiritual journey is one that feels like it's an isolating thing, then you're probably not fully doing it. Um, because God actually calls us to do this collectively. He calls us to do it in relationship with other believers. So whatever your situation looks like, I hope that you can identify a Paul in your life. I hope that you can say there's someone who is a guide, a mentor, a coach, uh, a friend, an encourager to me. And maybe that's at Lifeline. Maybe that's, maybe that's at your church. Maybe that's within your network. I hope that you have someone that's just speaking into you and pulling you and, and lifting you up like Paul did to Timothy. But then also, I hope that you can identify people that you're doing that to. Um, that you can find people that are either younger in the faith or that are just seeking that mentorship and that you can find people that you get to be Paul to. Um, and I would say, just, uh, just don't go out alone. And, and maybe you just, maybe you need to find somebody who can do that for you and with it, with you. And that, that might be kind of a, um, and anxious, that might make you anxious. That might be an intimidating thing, but maybe you can find someone just to say, I would like to do this um, with someone else. So maybe identify who your Paul and Timothy are. And uh, if you do that, and if you already have that, be sure that they know that, that you look to them or that you are in this with them or that you are appreciative of them. I love that Paul and Timothy throughout the New Testament had a very public uh, relationship in which they said, I'm with this guy and he's with me and we work together for the good of our Lord. Um, so be sure that you are rallying around your people and that you are uh, just corporately lifting one another up. Um, I'm excited as we just kind of head into the next few chapters of these two of these letters. Um, Paul has just such a real way of talking. And it's again, it's it's coming from someone who has lived on both sides of God's love. He has done everything he could to prevent it. 
And then we see as he writes the New Testament, he's doing anything possible to spread it. And so um, I think it has a lot to say to us, um, especially in these days. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music